Imagine there's a sick person, but when it comes to the medicine, one doctor says, well, are you sure you're sick? Another one says, yeah, he's sick, but um, he could just let this pass. Well, another one says, he's sick, but uh, I think it's already too late to do anything. None of these messages sound good, but unfortunately, this is a reality in the world of self-development today. Many times a person will go to the doctors, or at least the people that present themselves as doctors, but those doctors are either going to tell them that he's not sick, tell him that perhaps he's sick, but it'll pass with time, or worse yet, simply tell him that it's too late, it's not for you, it's not for this generation. The great sages provided us cures. Cures for us to cure ourselves. Unfortunately, those same great sages had enemies, not only during their generation, but even today. Those great enemies sometimes present themselves as doctors. And tonight you're going to learn about what the medicine is, who is the patient, who are the people that are speaking all types of evil against those very same medicine and doctors? And ultimately, what that does that have to do with you fixing yourself? Enjoy it, share it, and be holy. And to everybody. We're uh, starting, Be'ezot Hashem, a new week, and Be'ezot Hashem soon a uh, new month, that uh, Be'ezot Hashem is going to give us a more chizuk and a next section in our Jewish ideology uh, series. We have, Be'ezot Hashem, over 100 uh, lectures in this series so far, and uh, now we're going into a uh, another segment of the Chazonish's uh, Sefer, Emunah Bebitachon, which, of course, anyone that's been watching this series uh, especially in the last uh, several weeks, knows that the, uh, there's a lot more than Emunayim Bitachon being discussed in this series, but uh, generally speaking, just the Jewish ideology, Jewish Ashkafa. Uh, tonight's show will be for Refuash Lema, uh, for uh, Rabbanit Sarah Batanat, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Avimori David Ben Nesriya, Imimorati Doris Bat Jora. Uh, uh, Sarah, but Esther, and all of Am Yisrael, and all the righteous Noahides that uh, continue to uh, learn with us, continue to support the uh, organization, and Baruch uh, Hashem for that. Anyone that wants to uh, join us in our uh, Kiruv efforts and wants to share some of our uh, new books and uh, also the uh, um, the movie cards can go to the Kiruv store at uh, bhkiruv.org. You can get yourself some of these cool movie cards. There's about 40 or so coming in every little container. You don't really have to do much. Just take this, put it in a Judaica store or a kosher uh, supermarket, synagogue. You put it there, people take a card, watch one of these films, change their life, and you have yourself another 310 worlds in your olamaba. In essence, you get more for helping other people uh, doing tshuva than you'll actually get from all of your own mitzvot. That's uh, uh, literally how great Kiruv is and why every single Jew and Gentile uh, needs to take this on. Unfortunately, sometimes 
uh, people don't realize how important Kiruv is for their own well-being, so we have to, uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, remind them. Uh, aside from that, we have our new book, the uh, Ora Levana. Uh, this, uh, Baruch Hashem, new book has been uh, really uh, well-received. Quite a few people have already uh, been uh, not only reading it, but also a few of them already started teaching from it. In Eretz Yisrael, there's a lot of a great chidushim uh, in here about each parasha. So uh, you could get uh, yourself 20 copies or more of this book and distribute it in uh, your uh, community. As I said, it's only uh, Hebrews uh, in the book. So obviously don't give it out to a community where uh, you know barely anybody speaks any Hebrew. But uh, needless to say, this is something that uh, could help people uh, if they actually put some time into learning it. Uh, so you could donate on that uh, site. You could also get some stuff for free. And of course, you could always go to our website, bezlatashem.org, where you could sponsor uh, a week or a couple of weeks or a month of one of our Avrechim in the Kolel, or if you want to simply become partners with us in all of our endeavors and what we're doing at the organization, you could donate there as well. So with that being said, we're going to go into this uh, segment. This is a new segment in the series. Uh, where we're starting in uh, in this chapter, we're starting segment number 14. After we completed a very powerful uh, and my personal favorite, I would say, uh, a segment which is uh, discussing the issues of uh, truth and needless to say, the issues of lying and how terrible and terrifying the world of lies is, uh, we're now starting something uh, that's uh, going to really encompass everything which is the uh, character trait development. In so many words, how do we fix ourselves? How do we fix ourselves? There's a lot of nice ways to uh, to say it. You can say you can call it character development. You can say it, uh, you know, uh, all types of uh, other things. You could call it learning musar or applying musar. But the bottom line, simple English is how do we fix ourselves? Now. The political correctness within us is going to tell us, why do you assume that something is broken? It's obviously also coming from the arrogance, which is uh, telling us, who says that anything is broken? You know, I don't need any fixing. The average person doesn't think he needs any fixing. And in fact, uh, the, uh, the uh, ignorant among us are going to say, perhaps fixing was applicable to the previous generations, but not this one. Uh, so, of course, we're going to have to address all of these, all of these issues, all of these uh, mistakes that uh, are, are constantly being made because if you see that the, uh, the um, Jewish magazine, Mishpacha, uh, decided to take several pages in their, uh, in their uh, uh, magazine, I'm assuming this is in a magazine, but somebody sent me a link to it uh, today, of all of the corruption and financial scandals that are happening in the Frum community, in the synagogues, as we speak, uh, then apparently the problem is bigger than most people think. Because if Frum people are scamming each other out of millions of dollars, and to such an extent that there's literally one story after another after another, I think it was like a five or ten page story, I didn't have time to read all of it, but... It was enough to disgust me and make me want to vomit, uh, where literally I saw, you know, things that are no better than Wall Street and in fact much worse. 
happening in our you know in our own backyard and the from communities so this is not supposed to be the case how could this be the case why is this the case and it all starts with what the chazonish is discussing now not just the world of lies not just people having all types of desires but really it gets to the bottom of it the chazonish starts off with as with what he says here the cure for oh wait actually let's see if we could uh start off here hold on a second and yeah we are in uh TikTok jail for the last uh for the last uh, week and a half so we're seeing if we could go live now it, and it starts off See, yeah, eight, nine, twelve. Okay, so you guys don't have the right uh, clock over there. Tick tock. I'd rather wait a minute before we start in this thing than uh, stop in the middle. If we can get this, bear with me for a moment. Uh, let me try this again. There we go. So the Chazonish in this segment number 14 in this chapter is going to really give us an all-encompassing solution. Solution to the how do I fix myself problem that really all of us Uh, are supposed to be saying to ourselves because quite frankly if you have marriage issues business issues relationship issues uh, self-conscious issues anxiety issues in so many words any issues it all stems from here it all stems with the fact that a person has character flaws and the Chazonish says as follows the cure for bad character traits is not by way of material medication the disease is not one of body and therefore its cure is not one of material substance the disease is a feeling of the soul and the cure is also that so here the chazonish first and first and foremost gives us a clarification that uh although you may think that uh you know your marriage is an hitting a crisis perhaps because you're having financial issues Although you think that your business is uh, is having uh, production issues because you are having performance problems. Although you may think that you're having a problem finding a shiduch uh, because no one, uh, you know, no one perfect enough for you yet. The truth is that these are all character trait flaws that you're not, uh, you know, realizing you have. These are things that you're not fixing because you don't even think they are a problem in fact the chazoni says that the character traits are not going to be the the flaws and character traits are not going to be fixed by anything that's material 
So if your business makes more money or your, uh, your own personal income increases, it's not going to fix your business, nor is it going to fix your marriage. It may allow you to buy more stuff. It may allow you to pacify yourself and make you believe as if life is better. But the truth be told is that the uh, some of the most miserable marriages are those of the wo- most wealthy people because money cannot buy this type of happiness. In fact, money cannot even buy you a single development in any one of your character traits because the character traits are something that is spiritual. And the, this, the character trait flaw is a disease, is what the Chazunish calls it, and he's not the first one to call it that. We already have it mentioned as such uh, by the Rambam, by the, uh, uh, the Gemara, and other sages that are discussing it, which we'll get into in a moment. But the Chazunish calls character trait flaws or bad character traits a disease, a disease that's not of the body, but therefore... It's one that cannot be cured by something that you would feed the body. Meaning, if you eat healthier, it's not going to fix your character trait flaws. If you you know, have a bigger bank account, it's not going to correct your character trait flaws. Whatever those character trait flaws are, whether it's stinginess or anger or arrogance or anxiety or whatever it is that a person has that typically people complain about, None of it is going to be fixed with more material because just like the disease itself is not of the body, neither is the cure. Now, to read a book on character traits, meaning a Musar book written by a sage in his sagacity, this is the cure for the soul. When one studies it constantly, that's the correction of one's bad traits. Indeed, reading books of moral teachings does not necessarily provide a guaranteed cure, just as there is no guaranteed cure for diseases of the body. It all depends on the acuteness of the disease and the amount of damage done to the body. So too, when it comes to the illness of the souls and the evil of bad traits, there is no assured benefit in these books because the fate of the cure lies in the acuteness of the disease. So this was quite a mouthful by the Chazonish in so many words telling us that whatever you're doing to better your life may or may not be working, not necessarily because of the medicine as much as it is because of the disease itself. In so many words, one of the things that most people don't realize is that spiritual disease, uh, such as a, uh, a disease where you are addicted to materialism, you are addicted to anger, you are addicted to uh, exerting your, uh, you know, your showing yourself off. You're an arrogant person. You're a prideful person. You're constantly looking for credit. You're constantly looking for recognition. You have anxiety that literally never ends. Uh, you know, you're uh, constantly uh, threatening people that you're going to commit suicide just for the sake of, uh, uh, you know, getting attention. Or worse yet, you actually do want to kill yourself, but you're not even sure why. You're manically depressed, but you're not exactly sure how this even started. All of these things are diseases. Now, 
these are not things that most people view as diseases but they are in fact diseases but they're spiritual diseases where a few pills are not going to cure them they may pacify you for a time they may uh you know uh, get you to uh perhaps uh be more inclined to do certain things less often than others but in general generally speaking if it's a spiritual disease the cure itself is not going to be a physical a material cure and in fact most people don't even think that their character flaws their bad character traits are even a disease to begin with and even if they know that this is perhaps a uh, not exactly the ideal they don't necessarily want to be an angry person but they were born this way they don't want to necessarily be a stingy person but they just simply are this way so they figure listen this is the way i am and uh, i understand it may not be good but deal with it meaning in so many words they acknowledge that it's a problem but they don't actually think that it's something they need or even have a responsibility or an obligation to fix and the worst yet is when people are so ignorant to the point where they feel like not only do they not have the uh the the ability to fix where they in so many words decide that even if i have the ability to fix it i don't need to because we live in this so-called weak generation everyone is a loser everyone is a degenerate so might as well so what's the big deal if i'm uh, flawed here and there now obviously this is not the way of torah this is not the way of our uh, our uh, our sages and what they've taught us this is not the way a person is going to achieve even a small part of their tikkun in their life if they think this way on the other hand sometimes people want to take on everything too quickly where they just discovered the truth and they want to fix everything overnight that's also not possible so a person first and foremost has to acknowledge that there is a problem secondly they have to acknowledge that the problem has a cure third they have to acknowledge that they have to take the cure that it's not really just a suggestion but rather an obligation so the rambam brings it uh, brings everything into perspective about 700 years 750 years before the chazonish wrote this sefer in his Ilchot Deot, in chapter 1, the Rambam writes as follows in Alakha uh, number 4. The straight path involves discovering the midpoint temperament of each and every trait that a man possesses within his personality. This refers to the trait which is equidistant from either of the extremes without being close to either one of them here the Rambam is elaborating on a point he made previously which is that there are traits and there is the extreme of traits where there's a person that has a natural inclination to be let's say uh frugal but if he is extreme he turns into someone stingy there's a uh uh a person that uh, has a natural inclination to be moody but if he becomes more extreme he can become angry constantly just simply live in anger so here he's telling us that 
you have to avoid all extremes with a couple of exceptions. And he says that the straight path involves discovering the midpoint. Where is your middle ground? Where is the point where you're not overly extreme on one end or the other? Because if a person leans towards the extreme of, let's say, for example, a uh, 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 anger, uh, then uh, then obviously this person will be very, very difficult to deal with. On the other hand, if he leans towards the completely opposite end, the world will walk on top of him and just simply, you know, cause him to become uh, uh, everybody's stepping ground. So you can't do this and you can't do that. On the other hand, discovering the middle ground is something that a person has to do for himself, but how do you do it? Somebody asked me recently about something that they saw that uh, was mentioned by the Tanya about how each person should uh, do what's called a uh, self-accounting each day. And he says, yeah, the, the Tanya gave, brought a big chidush, a big insight where he said that people should do a self-accounting and evaluate themselves and their actions uh, each day. Now, although the Tanya brought a lot of extraordinary chidushim and insights uh, to Am Yisrael in his, uh, in his Tanya, which actually one of the great chachamim of the uh, uh, of that time said uh, uh, famously how did he fit such a great God in such a small book meaning that there's a lot of extraordinary things in the Tanya but talking uh, you know bringing up the point of doing self-accounting each day was not a chidush it was simply a repetition of what was repeated in the Gemara in the Rambam and many other places like Shara uh, Bitachon in the Chovot uh, Levavot and plenty other places that Chazal mention it. And in fact, here, the Rambam actually mentions it as well, where he says, Therefore, the early sages instructed a man to evaluate his traits, to calculate them, and to direct them along the middle path, so that he will be sound of body. Here the Rambam is bringing up the Gemara in Masichet Sotah, page uh, 5b, where the Gemara says that whoever evaluates his paths in this world will merit to witness Hashem's salvation in the next world. In so many words, if you evaluate yourself on a regular basis, that in itself is going to bring you to a better place, not only in this world, but in the next world. Because anyone that evaluates themselves on a regular basis is someone that cares about what they're going to see. A person that's careless is usually not going to evaluate themselves. In fact, a person that's careless is going to simply pretend like everything is fine. So the Rambam says, the early sages already taught us this. And he gives a couple of examples. He says, he should not be wrathful, easily angered, nor be like the dead without feeling. Rather, he should adopt an intermediate course, such as he should display anger, only when the matter is serious enough to warrant it, such as when someone is you know, desecrating the name of God, is mocking the Torah, things like that, things that are actually uh, warrant you getting angry over it, in order to prevent the matter from recurring. Similarly, you should not desire anything other than that which the body needs and cannot exist without it. As Shlomo Amelech says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 25, the righteous man eats to satisfy his soul. 
Here the Rambam is in essence telling us that if a person constantly looks into themselves, they're going to yield better results. And as he says in Shmonap Lakim, which is the introduction to his commentary on Pirkei Avot, in the fourth section he says that when a man weighs his actions constantly and directs them towards the midpoints, he will be on the most elevated human plane possible. And he will thereby approach God and grasp his will. And this is the most perfect path in the service of Hashem. And even when a person has the highest goals, unless he frequently looks himself squarely in the mirror and examines his behavior, he will end up making gross errors. So on one end, the Rambam is telling us that if a person is evaluating himself on a regular basis with a goal of trying to get to the middle ground of everything, then he will get to literally a point of perfection. On the other hand, if he ignores this, if he simply assumes that he's going on the right path because he's reading certain books, he's attending certain lectures, he has, uh, you know, simply the feeling that he's doing okay, then he could literally make gross errors that can make him the most intolerable person to anyone around him without him even acknowledging that there's even a problem. And unfortunately, I've met some people like this, where they may say, like all of us, in our Tefillat Shmonaisle, at the end of Tefillat Shmonaisle, each time we say it three times a day, that my soul, let it be dust to all that are, uh, to, to everyone else. In so many words, is a statement of, of humility, that I'm like uh, dust, so even if they insult me, no big deal, as long as they don't insult God. Even if they step on me, no big deal, as long as they don't step on the mitzvot. In so many words, each one of us is making a statement of humility in, in front of God each and every single day, three times a day when we say Amidah. But sometimes people, uh, they may say on one hand that uh, let me be a uh, 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 dust, uh, you know, uh, but uh, let him be nothing. In so many words that, yeah, I'll, I'll be dust, I'll be whatever you want me to be, but I'm still better than everybody else. So a person doesn't realize the deficiency in stating one thing and doing another sometimes, even if he literally just stated it. So the Rambam says that a person has to evaluate himself. He has to evaluate what he said. He has to evaluate what he even thought. He has to evaluate what he did. You know, just a, uh, last week, one of my Talmidim asked me a question about a conversation that he had with another Talmud Chacham. And he really wanted to, uh, you know, make the uh, study session between him and this other person uh, uh, better quality. And what he said was right. But what he did was still wrong. The way that he approached it, the way that he discussed it, in so many words, the, uh, the solution was, I told him that he should apologize. He didn't mock the person, he didn't insult him, uh, he didn't yell at him, he simply did something that you don't do. Now, the average person doesn't think there's anything wrong. If I told you the details, you wouldn't even think there's anything wrong with it, you'd actually think I'm wrong for giving him that advice. But the truth is that he was looking for the truth. He received it, he took it, and he felt better as a result of it. Why? Because your neshama has a truth meter. And it knows exactly where the truth is. But unfortunately, sometimes the evil inclination is going to taint the truth and make you not see it, make you 
more inclined to see falsehood as truth. That's because a person develops certain desires towards things that he shouldn't. So the Rambam says, this is why you have to constantly evaluate yourself, because if you don't, you could literally be living a lie without even knowing it. And usually people find out they're living a lie when it's actually too late. Furthermore, the Rambam brings another point. He brings another point in chapter 2 of Ilchodeot that is really going to put the words of the Chazonish into perspective because the Chazonish has already told us that this cure for bad character traits is not going to be a normal medicine. It's going to be a spiritual medicine. Just like the feeling of the, the, the bad is not something material. It's not, you can't hold that feeling. Can't hold that feeling of anger. You can't contain that, uh, that feeling of stinginess. You don't even know necessarily the reason why you're arrogant and why you're angry and why you are uh, 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 you know, uh, experiencing all of these feelings. And therefore, the cure for it, the medicine for it, is the same type of medicine. It's also spiritual. It's also something that's going to come in a form of a feeling. And this feeling is only going to be received through works of Musal, through learning Musal. And the Rambam says in chapter 2 that those who are physically sick, that have bitter taste in their mouth, that have, you know, this awful sickness, the bitter tastes sweet, and the sweet tastes bitter. Some of the sick people even desire and crave that which is not fit to eat. They want to eat, you know, sand or, or, or charcoal. And if you want to give them healthy food, they don't want it. They don't want to eat bread. They don't want to eat meat. They don't want to eat anything that is typically what you would eat. It all depends on the, how, the level of sickness, how serious it is. Similarly, those who are morally ill desire and love bad traits, hate the good path, and are lazy to follow it. Depending on how sick they are, they find it exceedingly burdensome to follow the good path, to do what's good for them. As the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call the bad good and the good bad who take darkness to be light and light to be darkness, who take bitter to be sweet and sweet to be bitter. And Shlomo HaMelech says in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 13, those who leave the upright path to walk in the ways of darkness. And what's the remedy, says the Rambam, for these morally ill people? They should go to the wise, for they are the healers of the soul, and they will heal them by teaching them how to acquire proper traits until they return them to the good path. So here the Rambam, who preceded the Chazonish by, like I said, about 750 years, gives the same cure. Obviously, the Chazonish got it from there. And the Rambam got it from the Gemara. He says, sick people have always existed. People that have bad inclinations. Someone that is 
constantly inclined to steal constantly inclined to express his anger constantly inclined to complain Ooh, complainers people love to complain unfortunately our nation complained so much they nearly were annihilated by Hashem multiple times in a desert because of their complaining complaining is not something where somebody needs something else complaining is simply getting uh, the other party to acknowledge your discomfort by making them uncomfortable and being committed to keeping them uncomfortable until they satisfy you that's complaining complaining is not asking someone to help you complaining is simply torturing everyone around you until they do what you want sort of like a terrorist just in a spiritual sense that's complaining some people they start off their day by complaining instead of saying good morning they already tell you about all their problems oh yeah what a night i had well what happened what what happened you you just woke up what somebody 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 robbed you last night somebody beat you up no you don't understand i don't know i didn't sleep all night what do you mean you didn't sleep all night it's 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 10 o'clock in the morning it's nine o'clock in the morning you went to sleep at uh, 10 o'clock at night Uh, according to my uh my watch that's uh, about 12 hours yeah but it wasn't good sleep you know i don't understand i just it's i woke up a couple of times i have to go to the bathroom yeah everybody does that means that your body's working that means that you know your bladder your digestive system it works yeah but no i had some bad dreams okay you still got some sleep though yeah but you don't understand i got so much to do today but what does that have to do with with with, the, with last night's sleep no because i was stressed out over it hold on a second good morning good morning now not everybody is that type of person i for say for example i'm not a morning person i try not to complain first thing in the morning but i know that my way of not complaining is simply i don't want to talk to anybody i don't want to talk to anybody first thing i want to do wake up talk to Hashem thank you Hashem for bringing me back to life even though right now I'm probably usually in pain usually I'm not having a such a uh, great sleep but nonetheless I'm here I'm gonna get another chance at this life let's go now somebody wants to talk to me it's usually not the best time why right now I'm trying to get myself together so the way that I deal with it is simply avoiding the conversation but the complainer look for the conversation now not you don't have to be a morning person certainly it's a good thing to be a morning person it's a fantastic thing to be a morning person but not everybody is some people have this inclination to simply have bad mornings i remember there's uh, somebody that i know that literally every morning they would get into a fight with somebody every morning like literally without skipping a beat it was like a commitment it was a commitment to yell and scream every single morning it was unbelievable now this is obviously tragic not only because it causes anguish and 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 all types of suffering to everybody involved but it's also terrible for the body it's terrible for the heart to start off on such extremes but needless to say you can't just make yourself and turn yourself into a morning person at least not overnight so the first thing you need to know is know yourself well enough of what to avoid 
if you see you find yourself that you're a complainer which there were parts of my life where I certainly was one of them I know okay so how do I avoid complaining simple don't talk don't talk to anybody avoid talking avoid talking to everyone why because if you're going to talk you're going to complain about what oh you're in pain or you have a lot of stuff to do or the night wasn't uh sleep wasn't so good or the this or the that so best way don't complain by simply don't talk when do you talk when you feel better when you're in a better mood when you got your thoughts together that's the best time so a person needs to know themselves where they may not be able to fix the problem but they could certainly be smart about it and not make it worse so the rambam is telling us that the solution to fixing these character traits flaws these these immoral thoughts these immoral behaviors is by going to the wise men who are these wise men these are the same wise men that the chazonish brings the chazonish brings these wise men because these are our sages our sages that taught us everything and anything from the moment moment you wake up until the moment you die literally your whole life they tell you everything you need to know how to sleep how to relieve yourself how to go to the bathroom how to eat how to do business how to make money how to be married happily how to bring children to the world how to raise children how to observe the laws of God and how to actually be happy with the laws of God literally everything and anything you can possibly imagine is taught by the sages and one of the things that a person needs to know must know more than really anything else is that your character traits are the engine are the engine of that soul if a person doesn't realize that their character traits are the engine they could literally be focused on other parts of their life other parts of their personality that may be very well good they may be happy with uh, perhaps uh, their uh, you know their, their looks they're happy with their uh, financial status they're happy with a uh, you know their relationships with other people they're happy with their job they're happy with all of those things but in reality inside they're miserable they're depressed they're in, they have a lot of anxiety they're not really sure why they're not really sure how to fix it so all of those good things little by little deteriorate how does the anxiety or inner depression or or or, or simply any type of negative trait affect the good looks has it how does it affect your uh, your financial status has it affect your relationship simple because the character traits are the engine when the engine starts failing starts making some ugly sounds starts making smelly uh, uh, smells come out of it starts doing things that it's not really supposed to do it starts affecting everything else so all of a sudden that you know the top that comes off on that fancy car it's you don't want to make it come off why because everyone's going to hear the sound everyone's going to you know 
see what you're dealing with you're going to expose things that you don't want to those beautiful tires with the rims and the doors and all that stuff doesn't matter anymore why because the the car is not functioning right it doesn't turn on so the point is is that when a person has a flaw in his character trait they can't just simply ignore it and expect it to go away they can't ignore the character trait flaws and expect life to get better if you have a flaw fixing it is fixing everything this is sort of for those of you know for those people that are physically fit or spend time in a gym i remember in the old days so maybe almost 30 years ago uh the uh one of my coaches would uh told us that you know if you spend a lot of time bench pressing and uh you know working on the part of your body that usually is what people see most often you may be happy with uh your the way you look but you won't be happy with your strength because it doesn't make the whole body stronger what makes the whole body stronger doing squats working your 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 legs when when a person has strong legs they have a strong body so the same concept here where if a person has a weak engine weak character traits everything else becomes weaker the looks you know that of a person that's the most beautiful can turn them into the most ugly if they have a bad character trait and a bad attitude about life they have all types of flaws that are simply unbearable the most beautiful person becomes ugly uh, on the other hand a, a person that has financial success if they're stingy in so many words it's useless to have financial success a person that is arrogant if 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 they're arrogant then the truth is that it doesn't really matter what they have no one's going to want to be next to them whether it's looks or it's money or it's both or whatever or ideas no one wants to be next to an arrogant person so here we see that the engine is a lot more critical than most people give it credit for so the rambam said exactly as the chazonish or the chazonish said exactly as the rambam that if one wants to fix it they have to go to the wise men and the sages elaborated on this in several different ways rabbi tzak blazel one of the main talmidim of rabbi israel misalant elaborated on this point and he says as follows remember this is written well over a hundred years ago 150 years ago almost this is in a sefer called all israel and he writes that an impure spirit has succeeded in altering reality bringing numerous innovations that are patently inferior and a host of substandard modifications in the service of the creator in all areas of divine worship weakness and fatigue of the spirit are clearly recognizable the soul's power has continuously diminished until we find ourselves in the most amoral of times wherein disease of the soul is an almost universal reality may god have mercy 
close scrutiny of the general situation of Torah and heavenly fear reveals that the spiritual degradation of the fear of heaven is much more rampant and destructive than the debasement of Torah study, and the ramifications of this weakness are far more serious. So first and foremost, the Rabbi Tzach Blazer is giving us an update on his times, which are, needless to say, sound like our times. He's telling us that yes, there are people learning Torah. There are. There are yeshivot. There are. There are people that are from. There are. But it doesn't seem like it's actually improving society. It doesn't seem like it's improving even their own lives. In fact, he says we're living in one of the most amoral times. Now, he's not talking about the Gentiles and the Gentiles doing all the bad things that they do. No, no, he's talking about his own community. He's talking about Jewish people from community. So a person has to understand here, he's not talking about the world at large and how horrible it is because that's there's no need to write that in the book. That's always been the case. How the world is upside down, there's idol worshippers, there's there's immorality. That's always been the case. There's nothing new under the sun. He is addressing the Frum community. And he says the Frum community has deteriorated. As if there's an impure spirit, like a, a ruach tum'ah, has entered it. This is 150 years ago. Altering reality. Why? Because of numerous innovations that are apparently inferior and a host of substandard modifications in the service of the Creator. In so many words, he says, some people came and decided to bring new type of teachings. They didn't want to ride on the coattails, on the wisdom, on the, uh, uh, the, the, the divine teachings of the previous sages. They didn't want to rely on the Rishonim. They didn't want to rely on the Amoraim. They didn't want to rely on the Tanaim. They didn't want to rely even on Moshe Rabbeinu. They wanted to rely on their understanding and their philosophy and their clarification and rationalization of what's being said. Even if it has no footing and no connection or relationship to what was said before. New ways. You know how people today tell you, don't teach people what the Torah says about a Jew that desecrates Shabbat, of how he's considered an idol worshiper. If he does it on purpose, he's considered an idol worshiper, and he cannot be counted in a minyan. If he writes a pair of tefillin or a mezuzah, you can't use it. If he cooks you food, you can't eat it. If he's a witness in your wedding, your your wedding ceremony is not valid. He can attend the wedding, but he can't be a witness in the ceremony or of any Jewish event that is a uh, a religious event. They say, don't teach this. Why? But it's in the Torah. The Rambam writes it. The Torah itself writes it. It's all over the place. No, no, you're going to turn them off. So, so how do you turn, what's your strategy of turning them on? What's your strategy of getting everybody to, to, uh, to become religious, to start observing Shabbat? Oh, you just love them. Just love them and welcome them and feed them and invite them to your house to eat 
chulent and to eat soup and to eat knedelach uh, and to eat this and to eat and to eat and to eat and to eat. Okay, fine, they eat already. They've been eating for 20, 30 years. When do they start keeping Shabbos? They've been eating. They eat. Baruch Hashem, they're full. They're overweight by at least 100 pounds. When do they start keeping mitzvot though? When? They'll do it eventually. What if they die before it eventually happens? Don't turn them off. All of these new innovative ways that tell you don't turn them off. Don't tell them the truth is really what they're saying. But they want you to really not tell them the truth. But they don't want to say that because it doesn't sound good by saying don't tell them the truth. And a rabbi saying don't tell them the truth. They don't want to really say that. So they want to tell you don't turn them off. It's, it's, it's too much for them. How do you know it's too much for them? Did you create them? Did you design them? Because the God that created them apparently knows what's better for them. And he wrote this in his Torah. So unless you know better than him, why should I listen to you? And of course, unfortunately, many people listen to this mentality so much so that it has become the norm. Not just in our times, but in previous times. In the times of Rabbi Yitzchak Blazel, many people ran away from the truth ran away from the truth so far to the point that intermarriage became a day-to-day event in Europe, especially in Germany, where the Holocaust took place less than a generation after. The the disaster that followed this mentality, this so-called new way, was unlike any other. So here we see Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer talking about the times. And he says, in the past, we taught the Torah, we taught fear of heaven. Now there's like these new ways. And clearly they're inferior ways. How does he know they're inferior ways? Simple. He knows what the truth is. He knows what the results of the truth are. He knows what the, these ways are. He knows what their results are. As one time I went to Canada and I met this... Uh, rabbi over there who was uh, doing kiru for over 20 years and he wanted to uh you know give us his two cents about what he thought about what we're doing and he thought perhaps it's too aggressive that you're telling people about all the things that it says in the Torah you're not making anything up but he thinks that maybe it's turning people off so you know Usually, I don't like to argue with uh, with with rabbis uh, that I just meet. I have to know who they are and what they're saying, what's their qualification. And especially if I'm a guest, I uh, try to uh, leave it for another day. But my friend was a very serious Talmud Chacham, Rav Ifra. He uh, took the initiative and he said, "Wait, but Rabbi, how long have you been doing Kiruv?" He asks him. Uh, he said, oh, 20, 25 years. He says, how many people have you helped do tshuva? He knows 20, 25 years. He thinks about it for a second, goes, oh, probably 20 already, 25. And he was saying it with like a smile with ear to ear of how proud he is. Now, again, don't get me wrong. 20, 25 people that are now Shomrei Mitzvot is fantastic but not over 25 years. Hence, my friend told him, 
He does that every week, if not every day, with that way. And the guy's face literally turned white. He didn't know what hole to bury himself. He didn't know what hole to bury himself. And that's the truth, that many times people want to attack the truth by throwing stones at it as if that's going to change the truth or make their falsehood any better. So Rabbi Tzchak Blazer is already telling us already then they did it. It's nothing new. They're doing it now. Nothing new. Furthermore, he says this follows, and this is really the whole point of what I'm bringing here. He says, unfortunately, the fear of heaven has dramatically fallen from the most pristine heights to the most ignoble depths. The precipitous decline has been frightening to behold, with nothing and no one to hinder the descent. Meaning the situation is deteriorating and there's no one to stop it. Why no one to stop it? The paths of fear are in mourning. The gates of the divine service are desolate, and we are drowning in sin. Immorality rules over us with unsaleable strength and impunity, corrupting us and ruining every good portion of God's inheritance. The foundation of fear and heavenly worship is engulfed in flames. The slanderers have gained power while those who fear the Almighty's word are derided and despised. Virtue itself is corrupted, and falsehood cloaks itself in a garment of righteousness. Men of violence control the land, and the truth is vanquished. Here, the Rabbi Tzach Blazel, one of the Gdoleado, he was the chief rabbi of, 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 of St. Petersburg, chief rabbi of Russia. He was literally a giant among giants. He... It's pretty much telling us what's happening in the world today, a hundred years after him. He's telling us that the situation is getting worse by the day. Immorality has taken over. And all this is the doings of the slanderers that have gained power. The people that speak against Musar, against rebuke, against teaching about Yirat Shemaim. How are they succeeding? They cloak themselves in a garment of righteousness. They look like they're righteous. They sound righteous. And in fact, they despise and deride anyone that has fear of Hashem. Just like the Gemara in Masechet Sotah, at the end of the Masechet, page 49b, says will happen before Mashiach comes, the truth will be despised. And then he finalizes the point with this. It was not always so in Israel. In earlier times, Torah knowledge and the fear of heaven perfectly complemented each other, like inseparable twins. Great scholars were adorned with pearls of fear. The value of their wisdom was consistent with the value of their reverence. However, due to the multitude of our sins, the previously unseen tapestry has now become almost completely unraveled. The bonds are broken. The knot that joined them has been torn asunder. Moreover, the Torah itself is not invulnerable, for without fear, the vitality of Torah will ultimately be debilitated as well. May Hashem have mercy. He's telling us that without teaching fear of heaven, the Torah is not going to have the same strength as it had in the past, because fear of heaven is literally one of the 613 commandments. 
when people don't teach it, people will not have it. As far as physical illness is concerned, medical science has made wondrous advances that keep pace with the increase of infirmity. Researchers labor continuously to expand the horizons of medical knowledge, seeking to understand and fathom the roots of disease. The profound capabilities of wisdom, analysis, and experimentation have led to the discovery of cures and treatments that were previously undreamed of. As many diseases as exist in the world, there are similar number of physicians and remedies. However, such is not the case concerning the soul and its afflictions. There is a vast increase in illness. The diseases are more severe than ever. Weakness has become endemic, and the paths of healing are obstructed. There are no doctors to aid us, no Elgazars, nor remedies, no elixirs, no remedies, and neither process nor procedure. In so many words, he's telling us that in the past, throughout all of the generations, teaching fear of heaven has always been coupled with teaching Torah. They went together like twins. Once that stopped, things went downhill. And for those that are having a difficulty understanding the need here, he gives an analogy. He says, you see the world of medicine? The world of medicine is continuously prospering because although there is a lot of new sicknesses in the world, I think at the time there was a polio and uh, cholera was, uh, was, uh, was very problematic in those days. But he said that there was diseases, but yet there are new technology with new cures. And those cures have many doctors to administer those cures. Just as many diseases, there are as many cures and there are as many doctors. Everything is in line. So you could hope for a better future with that type of structure. He says, but on the spiritual end, the disease of the soul, such as immorality, arrogance, stinginess, all character flaws, those are getting worse. Those diseases are becoming more numerous. But yet, not only is the cures number of cures not increasing it's in fact the same number it's always been but the number of doctors has literally nearly ceased to exist now what is this cure that's always been the same and there's no need for another he brings it out later on where he says the remedy in the name of the chida of chaim david azulai Allah Shalom, who writes in Birket Yosef that it's proper to set a fixed time for Musar study for the greater the man, the greater his evil inclination. This is a, uh, he's bringing this from the Gemara in Masechet Sukkah. Rabbi Yaakov Milisa, the author of the Chabat Dat, says the same thing, where he says, I adjourn you to set a fixed time every day for Musar. For in a multitude of our sins, our hearts have become as stone. And through Musar study, the heart is softened. 
Rabbi Chaim Evolojin in Nefesh Chaim writes, Before engaging in Torah study, it's fitting for every person to ready himself in proper fashion, with pure heart and fear of heaven, let him ponder his creator for a moment. By doing so, he'll be moved to do tshuva, to repent for his transgressions and become purified. And a person may even briefly interrupt his Torah studies for this purpose, so that the fear of God he accepted at the outset of his study session will not be extinguished from his heart. And that interlude, let him contemplate anew the fear of heaven. The Avot Rabbi Natan in Masechet Derech Eretz says that the uh, proper conduct precedes the Torah, meaning that you have to learn Musar. Same was written by Shlomo HaMelech. The Gaomi Vilna said, study the works of Musar a few times each day. In a letter called Alim La Trufa by the Gaomi Vilna. Last but not least, he brings Rabbi Chaim Luzato, Rabbi Chaim Moshe Luzato, the Derech Etz Chaim, who says, a person does not hesitate to make calculations regarding temporal affairs. Why then does he not turn his heart, even for one moment, to life's most essential question, which is, who is he? Why did he come to this world? And what does the king who rules over kings require of him? And what will it be his end? Engaging in such reflections is the most potent weapon with which to defeat the evil inclination. These are the types of questions a Baal Musang asks himself. And therefore he says, a person that learns Musal is going to cure himself through all of the from all of these spiritual diseases, even if it's hard to find a doctor. So we've already uncovered that spiritual diseases, such as which are the character flaws, are running rampant. They're more numerous now than ever, because needless to say, they were numerous at the time of Rabbi Yitzhak Blazel. They're more numerous today. The number of doctors for the soul has deteriorated even further if they were very limited back then needless to say they're much more limited now the truth is harder to find today than it was even back then because even during that time you still had many gdolim still had many chachamim you still had less falsehood in the world because there was less media and so on but needless to say the situation is deteriorating there also. The access to information and even access to the truth is easier or more user-friendly today, but there's also it's more user-friendly to access the falsehood and, and all types of other things. So the point being is, is that so far we've established that this cure being Musar is the cure that everyone agrees on whether it's the Gemara in Masechet Sota and in many other places, or it's the Rambam who paskins it in Halacha, or it's the a, uh, uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer, or it's the Chazonish, and countless other sources, they all agree that learning Musar is the cure for the spiritual disease.
So the question is, why isn't every single person that reads the Or Israel or the Reshit Chochmah or the Path of the Just or the Chobot Levavot or any of the other number of Musar books, why aren't they all cured? In fact, there are some people that can watch lectures, either myself or Rabbi Mizrahi or anybody else, for five years, ten years, twenty years they can watch, but still remain the same animal that they've been for years. You ask him, have you read uh, you know, The Path of the Just? Oh yeah, I'm already on my third run, fourth run. Whoa, you read it three, four times and you still behave that way? You still steal in your business? You still have no emunah? You still have all types of anxiety? How? Don't you learn Musar? You just said you read Sheet uh, Chochmah, you read everything. You watch the lectures. How could it be? Now we've established that this is the cure and there is no other cure. So you can't say, oh, listen, he's taking the wrong cure. He's taking the right cure. But it's not working. Why is it not working? That's where the Chazonish comes in. Chazonish elaborates here at first. And he says, to read the book, to read the Musar book, that's the cure for the soul. Meaning the book is the cure. But it doesn't simply work just because it's the cure. If you have medicine in a jar, it's not necessarily going to cure you if it stays in a jar. In fact, even if you ingest it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to cure you. Why? Because there's also a instructions of how and when to consume this medicine. If a person just ate a five-course meal and then he takes the medicine, that's supposed to be taken on an empty stomach or vice versa he just took the medicine on an empty stomach when he's really supposed to take it after he ate so really the medicine is too busy causing damage to his body instead of curing it or better yet he's simply taking it at the wrong time of the day or worse yet he's simply consuming it the wrong way altogether instead of ingesting it he's pouring it on his hands he figures maybe if he smears it on his hand it's going to do just as good so it's not just about having the medicine it's also following the instructions of how to take it and that's what the chazoni says the book that's the cure but when one studies it constantly that's when it's going to correct his traits it's not enough to read the Reshit Chochmah, the Path of the Just, the any of the books that are out there that are Musar books. But rather a person has to live it constantly where they're looking at the book, see what the verse says, compare it to your life. Look at the book, compare it to your life. Go through life, Act and do whatever you need to do. Compare it to the book. Go do business. Do what you need to do. Compare it to the book. Go back home. Study the book. Compare it to your life. Compare it to your business. 
compare it to your marriage, compare it to your parenthood. That's constant. Constant is not just I read the book, yeah, Rabbi, I already read 20 Musar books. Wait, you read 20 Musar books, but you're still an arrogant person, you're still materialistic, you're still stingy, you're still this. What did you read? What, What did you, like, cover the Musar book with a newspaper? So in reality, you were reading the newspaper? Like, what did you read exactly? You read the Musar book. You read the same words that Rabbi Tzachbazah wrote. You read the same words that the Ramchal wrote. Same words that anybody else read. But the difference is, you read it with no self-reflection. No cheshbon nefesh, like the Rambam started with. No self-accounting. You read it with, oh, anger. Who do I know that's angry? Oh, yeah, you know what? Steve is angry. He's always angry, that Steve. Okay. Ah, stingy? Ah, David is stingy. He's always stingy. That guy, he's so stingy, he doesn't even want to uh, go to the bathroom because I'll have to buy a new sandwich. He's such a stingy guy. And he reads the next. Oh, that guy, shh, terrible. Anxiety, yeah, that's not only uh, Sam, that's also uh, uh, Steve's brother, I don't remember his name, and it's also uh, uh, Dudi, and also Tzvika, they're all, they're full of anxiety. He can name everybody. He can name everybody that has these problems, except himself. Everybody has a problem. He reads the book. She reads the book. She knows exactly who this is for except herself. So yeah, Rabbi, I read 20 Musar books. You read 20 Musar books and you're still the way that you are? Did you read them for people as like a good night story? Did you read them for money? As somebody paid you for it because it surely didn't fix you. Why didn't it fix you? Because you're looking everywhere else. You're looking for everyone else. And that's the problem, Rabotai. When a person is reading Musar books, he has the cure for the greatest spiritual diseases mankind has ever seen in his hand. If this was uh, uh, you know, compared to any type of uh, medicine, Literally, it's the cure for cancer, AIDS, polio, and every other disease we've known and didn't know. He has that cure in his hands. And instead of following the instructions and simply curing himself of all diseases, what does he do? He starts spraying it at people. Yeah, you take it like it's the... uh, like it's the mechatat, it's the, the water of the red heifer. He's trying to purify people. Yeah, 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 you take this. You go ahead, go ahead. You, you're angry. Shh, shh. Oh, you, you're, uh, you're, you're arrogant. Yeah, you go. Shh, shh, shh. Oh, you, uh, you have anxiety. Shh, 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 shh. Look, I saw in the book. Look, shh, shh, shh. what about you? What about you? Spray on yourself. No, no, I'm okay, Rabbi. I'm okay. I'm not, I don't have anxiety. Yeah, but you have other stuff. You have other things. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. 
So the Chazoni says, exactly as the Rambam says, exactly as the Gemara says, exactly as the Or Yisrael says, exactly the same. He just elaborated one small little point. He says, the difference is, he has to not just read the book, but he has to do it constantly. He has to study it constantly in order to correct the traits. Indeed, reading the books of Musar, of moral teachings, does not provide a guaranteed cure, though. Meaning, even if he reads it, he reads it, and he just bought himself a book about uh, to remove anger from your heart. And he started reading the first few pages, and he sees anger is like idolatry, anger is an abomination, anger is terrible, anger this, anger that. Okay, he reads it, he reads it, 5, 10, 20, 30 pages. He finished reading the book for the day. Okay, I'm going to work, honey. As soon as he leaves the house, automatically he's angry about everything and anything. Why? He's late to work, somebody cut him off. Wait, but you just read a book that told you to remove anger from your heart. How come it didn't fix anything? I thought if you read the book, it fixes. He was looking for a cure for himself. He said, you're right. He was looking for a cure for himself. And you're right. He was reading the book. So he took the cure. He took the cure for himself. So far, so good. But what can we do that his disease is much bigger than 30 pages? And that's why there's no guarantee for the cure. There's no guarantee for the, a cure for diseases of the body, even if it's the right medicine. Why? It all depends on how sick the person is. If the body is sick, you're going to have to increase the dosage. If he's not so sick, you don't have to. I remember when we had Baruch Hashem all types of wonderful experiences that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent us, all types of surgeries, all types of infections, all types of wonderful things that this body had to go through. And uh, the uh, it got to the point where the antibiotics stopped working. So they would increase the dosage. And when that didn't work, they would change the antibiotic. So sometimes, you know, when somebody uh, uh, tells me they just went to a doctor, they have something, they ask me about it because we had enough experience with it. And uh, they tell me, oh yeah, listen, my uh, doctor just gave me uh, 250 milligrams of, uh, you know, amoxicillin antibiotic. And sometimes I'll tell them, listen, that 250 for your problem, you may want to ask for 500. Oh no, but that's double. Yeah, yeah, for your problem, you may need more. Isn't that a lot? I'm like, no, not really. I used to take, uh, you know, almost uh, 2,000 milligrams per day. Yeah, but that's bad for your body. Exactly. But it's not as bad as the infection. So you have to decide which way you want to, <laughs> which way you want to hurt yourself. So the thing is, though, is that sometimes a person can take the right cure, but it's not enough. Why? He's really sick. He's really sick. Amoxicillin works. But if it's only 250 milligrams for that particular issue, it's not going to be enough. 
the person may die before the amoxicillin takes effect he may have to take 500 milligrams three times a day he may have to take even a thousand a couple times a day on rare occasions literally they'll have to give him an IV in order to administer the medicine fast enough before he dies and if it doesn't work within 48 hours it's the wrong medicine altogether the same concept applies in spiritual issues a person thinks listen I heard that all Israel is a good book I heard the native all is also a good book I heard that the book by Rami Zrahi is really good I heard the book by Rabbi Yaron is really good I heard the book that Rabbi Vigna Miller's book is really everything all the books are good they're all good so he figures okay so you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna read it I'm gonna you know while I'm eating my cereal in the morning and I'll you know delve into a couple of pages he's eating and he dips through the pages and he finishes eating and he finishes with the book and he goes back to his day she goes back to her day guess what it's not gonna work why first and foremost if you're going to use this as a cure you have to administer it the right way Musar is not one of those things that you could really apply to your life if you're busy with anything else including eating number two it's very important for a person to understand that if you're having major issues in your life whether it be marriage business relationship whatever it is those things need a faster cure than just a couple of pages whenever you have a time whenever you get a chance sometimes you have to literally look at one line for a half hour for an hour repeating it to yourself until you can apply it to your life so it's not necessarily the quantity of information but how much of it what's the dose of that information that you're consuming if you're just going through the pages assuming that just because you read more pages and you read more books that's going to be the right cure you're wrong because you may read the information you may go through the book but the quantity intake that you're really consuming out of each one of those books is so minimal that it's simply enjoyable because it's intellectually stimulating it's good enough to give you ideas of what to tell other people to do but it's not enough for you to change yourself I had a student of mine that told me something that he did some time ago maybe a couple of weeks ago and uh, he asked me what I thought I usually don't uh, just go out and chase people with rebuke but there's someone that I know for a long time and he asked me what I thought and uh, I'm not sure if he expected what he got but he got a seven minute rebuke and his seven minute rebuke wasn't a fun rebuke but it was a very much needed rebuke because he was ruining his life without even realizing that he is the problem he's thinking they're the problem he's the problem that's the problem Ed in reality 
For years, I've been trying to give it to him and tell him that in a nicer way, in a passive way, in a all types of ways just to get the message. But until he got it, literally, as blunt as can possibly be, some, as blunt as these lectures are, he didn't get the message. And he finally did. And Bezal Hashem will use it. And he appreciated it. But it literally, you know, required him to literally break his heart in order to get him to wake up. So sometimes a person needs more than what they're taking, even if it's the right medicine. And that's also what the Chazunish is saying here. That indeed reading the books of Musar does not necessarily provide a guaranteed cure. It all depends on the acuteness of the disease and the amount of damage that was done to the body. And so too when it comes to the illness of the soul and the evil of bad traits, there is no assured benefit in these books because the fate of the cure lies in the acuteness of the disease. Now, Rabbi Israel Misalant was an extraordinary Talmud Chacham already when he was a young kid. Everyone knew that he was something special already as a child. And by the time he was uh, 13 or 14 years old, he was already giving lectures to the adults. He was an extraordinary genius. And everyone knew this one is going to be one of the Gedolim. But one day in his life changed everything. One day changed everything. One day changed everything in such a way where Rabbi Yisrael Misalant decided to put everything on the side and make the top mission in his life to teach Musar from community to community. And he literally built communities all over the world, all over Europe, in Russia, in France, in, uh, in, in uh, places in England, literally everywhere there were different places that had his students that built yeshivot and kolels. But it wasn't what he started with. It wasn't a Talmud Torah that, you know, taught people to become experts in Gemara, taught people to become experts in, in Alacha. No, it was Musar houses. What was that event? that caused Rabbi Yisrael Misalan to change everything. To be the typical Talmud Chacham, but just a genius among geniuses that was literally a prodigy already as a young person that was bound to be one of the G'dolei Adol, to being someone that decided to teach Musar, which at that time was not exactly very popular. There was a shoemaker that barely succeeded in his life it was known as someone that was on a borderline of poverty at all times but one day he invented something in the shoe business which really succeeded Hashem simply decided to send this guy success very fast and this shoemaker His financials skyrocketed within a short period of time and he wanted to make sure that his 
image improved along with it. So when it came time to the wedding of his daughter, he wanted to have a millionaire's wedding. He wanted to have a wedding just like the rich people do. So he found the most elaborate place to have this wedding. He also got the most uh, expensive caterers and the most expensive decorations. And he literally spent a fortune to make this event much more than just simply a wedding, but rather a statement on behalf of the family. We're here. Now, many people were invited, many successful people, including the most successful Gvil, who didn't like this newfound money, who didn't like this newfound success, and was simply set on making an example of this new money. So as soon as he came into the place and he saw this elaborate party, he said to himself, who is this guy that he thinks that he could just come into our world with his shoe business and just have a party like us, have money like us, have all this fancy things like us when he's not one of us and his he made his entourage his people that worked for him make a aisle as if they to open up the area to make sure that him and the shoemaker the host see each other so now everyone is expecting him to give him a big congratulations you know receiving a congratulations a mazel tov from the most successful person in the community to this newfound success that's a great achievement but instead of that after everyone quieted down and they saw the literally the sea of people open up like the ocean was split up by Hashem the host is waiting oh yes with a big smile and then the evil Gvil takes off his shoe and holds it in the air. He says, how much is it to fix this shoe? The heel is shaking a little bit. How much is it to fix the shoe? From the embarrassment, the host fell down, passed out. Passed out from how embarrassed he was. When Rabbi Yisrael Misalant heard the story, he made a decision that he must start places that are going to teach Musar. When they asked him, Kvodarav, why? He says, because at that moment, that Gvil publicly embarrassed the shoemaker. The Bet Din of Heaven called in all of the gdolim all of the great rabbis that led this community in the previous generation and pulled them all out of gan eden to get judged again of how they could allow the next generation to fall so low as a result of not teaching them proper character development proper musar all of them got judged again as a result of this behavior because it all started with them 
if you would have taught them enough Musar, this wouldn't happen. So the student says, oh, so you're going to try to build Musar houses so you can help people like this Gvir, this rich man, not do what he did? Salam corrects him and says, no. That person, there is no fixing him. Until Hashem breaks him, there's nothing to fix him. I'm building the Musar houses to help the shoemaker because if he got so offended by somebody making fun of him to the point where he passed out, he also has a problem. He's also egotistical. He also has gaiva. He also has not learned enough Musar. He also needs help. The other guy is evil and needs help, but he needs much greater help than just the typical teachings whereas a shoemaker you could actually help a person like that now this story didn't just change the community or Rabbi Yisraeli's life it literally changed every generation thereafter every generation thereafter started having access to tools that were known orally were known you know in certain circles but not necessarily as common as is available today so you would think that it would be a lot easier to teach musar and the average person would know it the books are written in multiple languages you would think that everybody would just simply read them fix themselves become decent people corruption would stop uh, you know uh, uh, all the uh, immorality will stop but the opposite is happening why for the very same reasons first and foremost just because the cure is available doesn't mean that people are taking it just because people are taking the cure doesn't mean that they're taking the right dosage they may very well be taking it but to try to help other people they're learning musar but only for the sake of rebuking other people and telling other people what to do and how they should fix themselves instead of how to fix themselves lastly just because musar is available doesn't mean that all of those slanderers and people that speak against it stop speaking against it just like Rabbi Yitzhak Blazel said that the slanderers have gained power they continue to speak against Yirat Shemaim. they continue to speak against discussing fear of heaven Genom, all the horrible things they continue in fact they continue pacifying the generation and telling everybody you simply can't handle the truth and they decided for you that you can't handle the truth because apparently the truth is too much for you to handle now the average person thinks that if they simply put a keeper on marry someone Jewish eat kosher food go pray give a little tzedakah they can simply be guaranteed a spot in Gan Eden 
But the truth is quite different. If a person doesn't learn, he'll never know that some of the things that he doesn't think are a big deal are in fact a very big deal. In the Rashid Chokhmah, we see an example of this. In Rashid Chokhmah, in Sha'a Kedusha, in section 12, or, or chapter 12, section 10, Ot Yud. He says, there are some people, יש <laughs> לא יעשה דבר נגד רצונו. ובעיניי קשה לי הדבר הזה יותר מכל העבירות, כי כל שאר העבירות, אם יחטא החוטא לפי שעה, פתאום יתערו, יצרו, ולא שם יראת השם כנגדו. אין עונשו כל כך, אבל זה שבשעת בנפש יושב שעה אחת או שלוש שעות, ולפעמים כל היום לא יזכור השם לנגדו ולא יאמר בליבו לפני מי, שאני, מי אני עומד, הוא משחק, עומד ומכעיס ולא יתבושש מגדולתו ולא יפחד מדינו והוא עובר עליו כמו שכתוב בספר דברים יישמר לך פן תשכח את השם אלוהיך והוא שוכח את השם and he continues translation of everything I just said is perhaps one of the scariest things that you're ever going to hear if you understand what it says I read it specifically in Hebrew for those of you that speak Hebrew so you know that the, it's not a bad translation of something that's written he says that Rashid Chokhmah, Rabbi Eliyahu Vidas, one of the Gedolim from 500 years ago, same generation as Rabbi Yosef Karo, same generation as the Arizal, generation of the greats. He says, I hear that there are some that allow themselves to play all types of gambling. You know, Things that, even if it's not for money, he later on elaborates, even if it's not for money, whether it's chess, uh, or it's uh, uh, cards, poker, sheshbesh, uh, all of these different games. He's talking about adults, not kids. Kids are a different story. Kids can play as long as they study a little bit and they obviously have good behavior. It's no problem. But adults is what he's talking about. He's talking about they're adults that say, listen, we play poker, we play checkers, checkmate, chess, whatever all these games are called. Because it uh, sharpens up our mind. And he says, and I saw the words of Rabbeinu Yonah in a book called Sefer Ayira, the book of fear. Of how he wrote, Rabbeinu Yonah is 750 years ago. He's one of the Rishonim. And he says, I'm going to use what he wrote to show you and expose their mistake for thinking that they're allowed to play these games. And he's not talking about 
play them like, you know, on Yom Kippur. He's saying, play them ever. He says, Rabbi Yonah writes, that someone who speaks idle words, meaning nonsense, speaks about nothing, talks about the weather, talks about, I don't know, something that happened in some uh, traffic, just speaks about nothing. He is like a heretic against the foundation of Judaism. And he is like someone who doesn't believe that God is everywhere. He doesn't believe that a Kadosh Baruch Hu is standing in front of him. Because if he believed that Hashem was standing in front of him, and he would still do this, he would still talk this nonsense in front of him. He says, in my eyes, this is more difficult than all of the other sins. This is what Rabbi Eliyahu Vida is saying, Rashid Chokhmah. This is like literally a person wasting time and playing these games. He says this is worse than everything else. How could it be more worse than everything else? It's just because all of the other sins, if he sins them, he sins them at a specific time. And usually it's, you know, it's momentary and it's evil inclination took over him. And is it beat his Yirat Shemaim. But this, playing these games, he could just sit there for an hour or three hours or even the whole day and play these games completely forgetting about Hashem altogether that he's right next to him. And he's not even going to say anything in his heart to be sorry for wasting his day playing these games. Not realizing that he's standing next to Hashem and he's angering Hashem. And instead of being uh, uh, um, embarrassed from Hashem's greatness, he's not even afraid at all of any judgment. And he is forsaking one of the mitzvot that's uh, uh, written in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 11. That uh, remember this, don't forget Hashem while he's forgetting Hashem. And he's considered as if he's desecrating Hashem and his Torah. He is like a Sadducee. He is like the people at the time of Yechezkel, the prophet, who says, these people are idol worshippers who worship idols in hiding. He is like a person who left Hashem. He is like an idol worshipper who worships idols in hiding and in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the open. And on an, he's like a cult. This is what he says about this person. That's what? That's playing cards. That's playing chess, sheshbesh. Now, you would say, yeah, but this is 500 years ago. This is uh, not for now. Now we have a law, one of the foundations of the Torah. The Torah doesn't change. So does that mean you're not allowed to play these games? 
What is the halacha? Rav Ovadia. In Chazon Ovadia, section of Shabbat. Page Lamed Gimel, 33. He brings this Rashid Chuchma. He brings this Rashid Chuchma. He brings this page, he brings this shal, he brings everything. When he's talking about whether it's permitted at all to play this chess and uh, all these other games. And he says, in regards to those sages that it's said about them that they used to play these uh, this chess game, he says, certainly it's because they were going through a uh, depression of some kind and it was needed it was a needed tool to help them get out of this depression as even that was used as one of the ways for them to serve Hashem by getting out of this certain mood that they had because many of these rabbis and I can tell you from experience most of what you hear from people is terrible news people don't tell you good news they leave the good news for other people to you, they tell you complaints, complaints, complaints. So it's very easy for you know, a rabbi that cares about people. He literally is crying about people all the time. And it affects you. So sometimes he needs a break from everything. And some of them use this as a break from everything. Where in so many words, they made this, I don't know, whatever, however many minutes they played this game as a way to escape from the reality. And this cannot be compared from a person that's not learning Torah or dedicating their life to helping people all day. He is escaping reality that even his reality is not doing anything productive. So it cannot be compared. Now again, all of this is pertaining to children, to adults. Does that mean that adults are not allowed to play the game of chess? Not necessarily. There are certainly some Chachamim that are lenient about it. But the point of all of it is to make sure that you know there is a truth that exists. The truth of it all is that really we're not supposed to waste our time on anything but serving Hashem. That's the truth. That's the bottom line truth. The truth is that you're supposed to exert all of your energy and do everything that it is for you to do, that you need to do in life, whether it's eat, drink, work, procreate, uh, uh, a uh, um, study, whatever it is that you do, all of it has to be for the sake of serving Hashem, all of it. And nothing should be separating you from Hashem. So even a game could be used as a way for you to serve Hashem. But if a person is playing a game to separate himself from Hashem, to separate himself from reality, to separate himself from his job in the world, he's missing the whole point. He's missing completely the whole purpose of life. So while the halacha is that yes, there are certainly rooms for leniency when it comes to people when you know to play these things minimally, not for gambling, obviously, and certainly not on Yom Tov or Shabbat. There's actually a book that talks about all the different games of what's allowed, what's not allowed, and the author himself writes in the beginning of the book, all of what I'm talking about as far as allowed, not allowed, is pertaining to children, 
because adults certainly should be learning Torah, not playing these games. But many times people forget that they have to grow up and they have to stop being kids and they have to start learning Torah and serving their Creator. And many times the reason why they don't realize that is because the truth is not always told to you in simple English. The truth sometimes is told to you in books, but not in speeches, because sometimes the leaders are going to withhold information from you because they don't think they can handle They don't think you can handle it. Or they can't handle your outburst once you do hear it. So it's important for a person to know that you have to be responsible for yourself. You cannot rely on leadership. You cannot rely on anyone holding your hand while you're learning. You have to be self-sufficient. Certainly there are some great leaders out there. Certainly there are some, you know, really, really serious Tamidechachamim out there. But in comparison to the amount of people, they're few. They're few and far in between. So every single person has to literally chase the truth as if they're chasing the biggest treasure in the world. And once you see it, you have to make sure that you're constantly analyzing where you stand in order to ensure that you're taking the right dosage. You're reading the book, but not for the sake of everybody else. You're reading the book for the sake of you. You're learning the book while you're analyzing yourself to make sure that you're actually applying some of these changes and not just reading things superficially. Last but not least, if you have some of your own ideas of how you want to teach other people before you do, make sure that there are other great Chachamim throughout all the generations that did the same thing. Because if it's a new way, it's not going to work. Many people are trying these new ways, these new ideas, the very same thing that Rabbi Tzach Blazer is complaining about. These new ways are destroying people more than they're helping them. People are telling you, keep Shabbat once a year. Or they tell you, tell you, you know, God needs you. Or let's, uh, you know, have uh, all types of events together with the other nations and befriend everybody and make it uh, peace among everyone. All of these types of new ways are certainly creating no help to the Jewish people. In many cases, they hurt more than they help. If you wanted to help, you have to look at what Hashem commanded. And that's actually what Rav Nisim Yagin, Allah Shalom, wrote in his section about Shabbat. He writes, in regards to last week's parasha, that according to the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, Tzlofchad, Tzlofchad was the name of the Shabbat desecrator, the one that gathered the, the, uh, the trees, gathered the, the sticks. Now, Tzlofchad wasn't a wicked person. Tzlofchad was a righteous person, the Gemara says. And in fact, his whole plan was to give chizuk to Am Yisrael. Because after we got the man, which was right at the time we got the Torah, during the first week, during the first Shabbat, the Tan Ve'aviram violated Shabbat. 
because they went and looked for the man on Shabbat. And since there was no witnesses, they couldn't kill them, they couldn't give him a death penalty, but they still violated Shabbat. So Tzlofchat saw that by the second Shabbat, people's Yirat Shamaim, people's excitement, people's awe of Hashem deteriorated a little bit in comparison to the first Shabbat. So he wanted to make sure that everybody increases their awe of Hashem by showing them what would happen if somebody violated Shabbat with witnesses, where they would follow the protocol. And therefore he went and he brought the witnesses with him. And he says, look, watch me and what I'm going to do. And he started gathering wood. So as the Torah obligates, they had to warn him. They said, listen, if you gather wood again on Shabbat, we have to arrest you. You're going to get killed. Death penalty. And he gathered the wood anyway. And they arrested him. They brought him to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu got the instructions from Hashem to stone him, to give him the worst possible death penalty. And that was the actual plan, says the Gemara, for him to die. Why? Because he wanted everybody to understand that Hashem is serious. So comes Rav Nisim Yagen, Allah Shalom. And he says, his whole goal was to give chizuk, to strengthen Am Yisrael, so they could observe Shabbat. But it didn't work. In fact, things got worse over time. They started making more sins. How come it didn't work? He just died for this. Why didn't it work? Says Rav Nisim again. Because Hashem did not command it. That's why it didn't work. You see, Hashem gave us things, gave us instructions, gave us tools of how to distribute those instructions, gave us examples, gave us stories. He gave us a lot of different things. He told us specific things in the Torah because he wanted to make sure that we know those things. He told us specific things so we could teach those things. When he said something is powerful, something is good, that made that something good. Meaning, it wasn't that something that the stick of Moshe Rabbeinu was naturally magical and was able to split the ocean. It wasn't that the tree, of the, the staff of, of Aaron was able to grow almonds out of it overnight. It wasn't natural for any of these things to do what they did until Hashem commanded them to. Hashem told us that we have to teach people Shabbat by simply telling them what Shabbat is and telling them what the consequence of desecrating Shabbat. He never told us to die for it. So although logically, rationally, it seems like if somebody dies as a result of desecrating Shabbat, that should be enough said. That should be an example that should get people to keep Shabbat. Rabbi again says, no, no. It doesn't have any power because Hashem did not say, go kill yourself for the sake of Shabbat for other people to keep Shabbat. He just simply told you, go keep Shabbat and teach people about Shabbat and teach people about the consequences. That's how you get them to keep. And 
those statements have much more power than you killing yourself because God put power into those statements. Whereas he didn't put power into you killing yourself. He didn't ask you to kill yourself. If it's stated in the Torah, it has power. If it's not stated in the Torah, it may make more sense, it may look better, it may be more expensive, it may be shinier, but it won't have the power of Torah. And that's one of the things that a person needs to understand about all of these new ways. If this new way was really part of the real way, why did nobody else do it until now? Why did none of the Tanaim, Amoraim, Savoraim, Geonim, Rishonim, Rachonim, nobody ever said this. Nobody ever said God needs you. Nobody ever said bring Christian missionaries to a synagogue. Nobody ever said keep Shabbat once a year. Nobody ever said LGBTQ, ABC, be friendly with them. Nobody said any of these things ever before. So how do you expect them to now all of a sudden have power? When we have clear instructions from our sages that if it's not in the Torah, it's not going to work. Perhaps the teachers need to learn as much Musar as the students. Perhaps we all do. And perhaps we all need to take the right dosage accordingly. Thank you for learning with me. May Hashem bless each and every single one of us to learn the right Musar with the right people and the right dosage. And Be'ezrat Hashem, we will succeed in getting everyone else to do the same. We will learn again together later this week.